0: Good afternoon, Ant Eater fans, and welcome to the Blue and Gold Report. Today we'll talk with men's basketball senior Adam Folker and then have our first conversation with newly hired men's volleyball coach David Niffin. Rounding out the show today will be our roundtable with Barry Faulkner of The Daily Pilot. The Blue and Gold Report airs Tuesdays at 5 p.m. on KUCI 88.9 FM and the web. To listen live, turn on your radio or go to UCRvineSports.com bgreport slash BG report and click on the listen live link at the top of the page. Fans, if you have a question you'd like to ask our guests, email us at blue and gold report at yahoo.com. That's blue and gold report at yahoo.com or tweet your question to at UCI athletics and use the hashtag BGReport. We'll try to get as many questions read on the air during the hour. Let's open the show with a recap of action last week in UCI Athletics. Michelle Park led the women's golf team with her second top 10 finish of the fall, coming in ninth with a 54-hole score of 223, to lead UCI to a fifth-place showing at the Rainbow Wahina Invitational held at the Lelehua Golf Course. Park, a Big West Golfer of the Month candidate, and the Ant Eaters kick off the spring slate in February at the Long Beach State Gold Rush. Doug Oliver's women's basketball team cruised past Cal State San Marcos 66-32 in an exhibition game at the Brent Center. UCI junior forward Jasmine Bernard posted a double-double with 12 points and 10 rebounds, while sophomore forward Camille Buckley added 12 points and 7 boards. The men's basketball team recorded a 101-92 triumph over Vanguard in exhibition action last week. Our guest Adam Folkert led the team with 16 points, hitting 6 of 8 shots. And added seven rebounds. Junior guard Chris McNeely had 15 points off the bench as five Anteaters scored in double digits. The women's soccer team lost on penalty kicks to top-seeded Cal State Fullerton in the Big West Conference Tournament semifinal last Thursday. Laura McGrail's equalizer in the 32nd minute would force OT, but following a pair of overtime periods, the Titans turned away all three PK attempts by the Anteaters to advance to the championship match. George Koontz's men's soccer team went 1-1 last week, losing to UC Riverside 4-3, but rebounded to break its five-game losing streak with a 1-0 win over Cal State Northridge. Christopher Santana had two goals in the week, scoring once against the Highlander and the Matadors. Elliott Farmer had four saves in the effort against UC Riverside to lead the Anteaters. Senior libero Kristen Winkler set a UCI single match record with 36 digs against Pacific last week. It's the second time Winkler broke a UCI match dig record this year. However, the Anteaters did not fare well on the road, losing at UC Davis 3-0 and falling to the Tigers 3-2. Redshirt freshman Arisa Buica led the team with 31 kills. The men's water polo team dropped a pair of close games at Anteater Pool, losing a Cal 12-10 and Pacific 14-12. Mitch Wise tied a career high with six goals against the Tigers, while Boyan Hurlick put away four goals against the Golden Bears. Mike Edlis's women's tennis team competed in the Rainbow Wahine Invitational and posted a 12-3 mark in doubles and 13-10 record in singles action. Freshman Sarah Gong finished the weekend with a flawless 6-0 record, winning three doubles matches with two different pairings and scoring three singles wins to lead UCI. Maravik Mamit and Sarah Stadfeld doubled up and went 3-0 and together in doubles play, and that's what happened in UC Irvine Athletics last week.
1: Anteater fans, this is Adam Folker, senior on the men's basketball team. Come support the Anteaters this week as the women's basketball team hosts Concordia tonight at 7 o'clock in the Brand Center. Women's volleyball is on campus twice this week, beginning with a match against UC Riverside Thursday at Crawford Court at 7. Double dip with the Anteaters Saturday as the women's volleyball team honors its seniors Saturday at 5 p.m. at Crawford Court. Then make the short walk down to the Bren Center to catch the men's basketball team, tip off against Nevada at 7 p.m. Hope to see you there and be a part of Eater Nation.
0: Welcome to the Blue and Gold Report. Our first guest today, men's basketball senior Adam Folker. Adam, thanks for joining us today. No
1: problem. Thanks for having me.
0: A UC Irvine, a 101-92 win over Vanguard halftime score 45 29 very much in control they scored 60 plus points in the second half we'll get to that in a minute but um you had a team high 16 points and you'd look like you started the season three weeks ago no rest on you
1: yeah i felt great i mean um we came out really strong we started the game strong um we scrimmaged concordia last weekend so uh we kind of got a little bit of the rust off there. Um we came out really strong like I said. We hit a lot of shots and uh, our big man really um we were a force inside. And that was our game plan from the start was to kind of put the ball inside. I think uh we had a height advantage on them. So um coach Turner and uh, our assistants just said, you know, to their guards push the ball and get it inside. And uh we came out. Our guards hit shots and that opened up the paint for the big man. And uh yeah
0: uh you know it's early in the season it was an exhibition game what grade would you give the team
1: i thought we did really well um like i said just coming out it's the first first official game so still kind of trying to get some of the rust off um some of the guys we've never played in an official game with um for example john ryan who redshirted last year um and and practice is really different from the game you know you come out and uh, the lights are on and there's a little bit of pressure um it's, it's a little bit different but uh felt really good um it was really good playing with the guys. Um, every, everybody on our team is easy to play with. Very unselfish. Uh, we move the ball a lot, and uh, that makes it really fun to play.
0: Uh, you mentioned a little bit of a little bit of pressure with you know playing in the brand, not a practice game. Um, did you have any words of advice to John Ryan and Connor and Alex, those young guys that got in the game that mm-hmm. night?
1: Just go out and play. Just be yourself. You know they uh, they've been there before. Um, they're extremely talented players. Uh, they know what to do. When it comes down to it, they'll make the right play. Um, and that's what I told them. Just relax, come out, uh, be yourself, and uh, play hard.
0: Uh, John Ryan, 14 points. Connor Clifford, 11. What type of adjustments have you had to make now having such added height around you when you used to be the guy with the height?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's been really good, actually, um, in terms of just playing against them in practice. Um, Connor's a big kid. He's strong. And uh, pushing against him in practice, it makes you better. You know, it makes you stronger, makes you finish around the rim. You know, you get the and-ones, et cetera. And John Ryan, is, is he's athletic, so he can get up there. Um, he can block some shots. So playing against him in practice just makes you that much better in the game. So,
0: so you, you are looking to put the ball inside. That opens up the outside. The outside then opens up the inside and vice versa.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: we saw... Let's see, four of nine from the three-point line, and Derek Flowers had three of those four. Not really what we normally see from Derek. We usually expect those shots to come from Chris McNeely and Mike Wilder and Damon Starring. Um, Was it just Flowers just taking advantage of what was given to him, or is he looking to be more that three-point threat this year?
1: I think it was uh, more of just our opponent and who we were playing. Um, Like I said, our game plan was to kind of come out and uh, push the ball and get it inside, And um, just an ode to our coach and sticking to our game plan, our guards really, um, they're disciplined and they they listen, they pay attention, and they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And as soon as you put the ball inside two or three times, it just completely opens up the outside, and that's where the three-point shots from Flowers and uh, McNeely, that's where those start coming in
0: um, and I'll ask you the same question about Chris McNeely, who didn't look as though he was really looking for the three, and that's normally what we had seen from him mm-hmm. in his early years at UCI. Um, has he just evolved into more of a guy who's going to create his own shots?
1: Yeah, I think he's, uh, he's really evolved as a player, just in a, as an all-around player. I mean, he can really pass the ball now. He can shoot it. He can drive it. He's worked on his mid-range game, so he's got... He's got a pull-up. He's got a floater. I mean, he can really do it all. Um, he's, he's put on strength in the offseason, um, which is really going to benefit him throughout this season um, in terms of just staying healthy and uh, defensively picking up uh, stronger guys and containing them. So uh, he, he's really worked on his game, and it's shown. I mean, he's not a single – he doesn't just have one threat, which is a three-point ball. I mean, he can do it all, so he's going to be tough to guard. Um.
0: We talked about the good, and we can probably go on talking about the good and hit every player. Um, let's talk about Vanguard. You know, you held them to 29 points, and then they dropped 60 on you in the second half. What adjustments did they make at halftime?
1: Um, I think they were just trying to get into the flow of it. Um, like I said, it's really early in this season, and uh, to get guys really gelling with each other um, is tough this early. But uh, they came out, and I give them credit. You know, they played extremely hard, and uh, they knocked down shots. And their guards were very, uh, they penetrated the ball very well. Um, and they got it inside and uh, dished it off, and um, they shot the ball really well. So I give them credit.
0: I'm, I'm sure part of that was Rhett Soliday as the head coach, had been part of the UC Irvine program for several years, so he knew what type of athletes that you guys had and how he could counter that with his own team.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Coach Soliday, uh, he was here for my first two years, and uh, he's a, Amazing individual, um, an amazing coach, and uh, I have a lot of respect for him. Um, he plays, I mean, he coaches with a lot of intensity, and it, and it shows off on their guys. I mean, they have they have good players um, who are good guys, and uh, they play with a lot of intensity on defense, and uh, I know that's what Solid A preaches in practice.
0: Uh, you have Nevada coming up. You played them two years ago. It was a tough road loss. Um, looking for a little payback here?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean guys never forget stuff like that you know <laughs> we got them at home so uh... we're really looking forward
0: to it Um we're going to take a quick break with adam folker and we'll be right back on the blue and gold report on KUCI 88.9 in Irvine fans if you have a question you'd like to ask our guests email us at the blue and gold report at yahoo dot com or tweet your question to at uci athletics and use the hashtag bg report Again, that's at uci athletics hashtag BG report. We want to hear from you. We want your questions and we'll get as many read on the air during the hour as we can. And welcome back to the Blue and Gold Report. We continue our conversation with Adam Folker. Adam, you're a long way from home. Uh, You know and I know that we've heard how you've been recruited and who recruited you but what I wanted to ask you was what went through your mind the first time you saw UC Irvine and were considering coming to UC Irvine?
1: The first time I stepped foot on uh, the campus here I was kind of in shock. I mean, it's extremely beautiful. Um I didn't really know what to expect. Um I didn't know much about the school. I didn't know much about the campus. Um all I knew that it was in Orange County. Um so I came here, didn't know what to expect, walked around the campus, fell in love with it, um fell in love with the people around here. And um I mean, it's been a it's been a blessing since.
0: And you're living life because I'm told you're the only uh guy on the team that lives in Newport Beach.
1: Currently, yes. Yes. But uh, a lot of the guys come down, visit, so don't get too lonely.
0: Were you always t- intent on living down at the beach?
1: Um, for the most part. I mean, it's it's an opportunity of a lifetime, you know, to live down on the beach, go to school. It's probably a 10-minute drive. Um, so it's uh, it was hard to say no.
0: Now, I was told that when you came on your visit, you were a complete tourist, and you took pictures of everything.
1: Absolutely. I still do, actually. I still so do you're very Asian. Art. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I uh I got the iPhone so I had a good camera. And I pretty much probably took about three thousand pictures on my two day recruiting trip. So
0: <laughs> Okay. And I, I did have a c- I did talk to someone close to the team about you. And I have three words for you and I wanna I want you to tell me what comes to your mind. Puka shell necklace.
1: Puka shell necklace. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was uh that was uh around my neck when I first got here. Yeah. That was uh I guess that was some of the, the swag at the time.
0: <laughs> I heard the upperclassmen gave you a hard time about the necklace. Yeah,
1: everybody's giving me a hard time.
0: <laughs> Do you still have the n- necklace?
1: I don't. You got rid of I'll it? I'll get another one when we go to Hawaii this year, though.
0: Nice. <laughs> Bring back the lay with you. <laughs> um, the quote is, you're a freak when it comes to nutrition. Where did that start? How did that start? Um, And how has that helped you with your game?
1: Uh, it's helped me tremendously. Um... I guess it started kind of rubbed off on me from my mother. Mm-hmm. She's a triathlete and, uh, she's extremely into nutrition. Um, and it, I guess it kind of started at a young age, but, uh, just recently in my college career, I've kind of leveraged it to, uh, to help me on the athletic side of things. Um, Cause
0: you're on the paleo and you've yeah. been on the paleo for a long time.
1: Yeah. I'm on a, a, a version of the paleo. Um, okay. I make a, a few, few changes, but, um, yeah I watch what i eat um I certainly watch like sugars and the sugar juices and stuff like that that I drink and um actually, a lot of guys on our team have really taken nutrition as uh, as something that they can that can help them on the court um and uh i mean i help them i help them with that um they help me with it whenever they can and it's uh it's shown i mean uh, game day we have kind of changed our pre game meal um, we used to have pizza and Pasta and different stuff like that. Now it's more of a, a salad and some grilled chicken. And so it's, any uh, of
0: the young guys resisting?
1: Not really. I mean, they can they can go get their pizza after the game. You know, <laughs> we tell them that after we get the win, then you guys can go have your pizza. So they uh, they're, they're all in. So but
0: you're pretty strict. You, will you have the pizza afterwards?
1: Um, no. No, I won't. I won't.
0: Okay. So the question is, if you're going to cheat on your diet, mm-hmm. what is the food that's going to cause you to cheat?
1: It would probably be donuts. 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 Yeah, that's. Uh, I think today's National
0: Donut Day. Did we see that somewhere? I think CNN okay. said this was National Donut Day.
1: Uh, you should have a donut for me.
0: I, <laughs> <laughs> I definitely will. Um, I'm also to- told that you make up ridiculous nicknames for guys, mm-hmm. and you make up words and try to get those to trend.
1: Yep, absolutely. Um, so,
0: what are some of the nicknames that you've made up, and for whom?
1: I don't know if I could share them all. <laughs> um, so
0: they're not PG. <laughs>
1: No, some of them are, but, uh, we have a lot of fun with our team. Um, our guys really respect each other. And, uh, I mean, off the court, we hang out a lot. Um, we travel a lot. So we 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 see a lot of each other. Um, so, you know, we pick fun at each other a little bit, but it's, it's all fun and games. Um, we have a lot of nicknames for each other. Um, and uh, we, we kind of have a, a group text message that goes around with just the guys on the team. Okay. So it gets pretty funny, some of the pictures that uh, so that guys post and stuff. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a good laugh.
0: I like that you're you're telling me a little bit, but you're not actually being specific. So really, you're not telling me anything.
1: <laughs> well, you, you got to keep the secrets hidden, you know.
0: Okay. How about the words that you make up? Can you share a couple of those?
1: Uh No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We'll have to bring on someone else, and we'll have to. You'll get hear to the them slip one. out of my mouth every <laughs> now and then,
1: you'll, or you'll hear uh, other guys on the team using them, and you'll just say, "What is he saying?"
0: And w- we can attribute that to Adam Folker
1: most of the time.
0: <laughs> Do you use those on the court?
1: Sometimes, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah.
0: So Barry and I will have to keep our ears open at courtside. Absolutely. Adam thanks so much for joining us good luck against Nevada and good luck the rest of the way we're going to talk a lot more basketball in the weeks coming up and we hope you uh, will join us on the show again
1: thank you very much
0: fans that was Adam Folker Sr. on the men's basketball team we'll be right back with men's volleyball head coach David Niffin
3: hi and your fans this is Russ Turner head coach of the men's basketball team are you interested in receiving information about UC Irvine athletics sign up for the A-List an email news service that is completely free to our fans. We'll send information and special offers to you about the anteater sports you follow, giving you the news when you want it. Visit
1: com and click on the A-list logo to join.
0: And welcome back to the Blue and Gold Report. It is my pleasure to have David Niffen, first-year head coach at UC Irvine. David Um, Welcome home, first of all, one anteater alum to another, and we're so glad to have you back in the program. Thanks, Fumi. And for fans, if you don't know, David Niffin now becomes our fifth anteater alum to hold the title of head coach of one of our programs. Um, Let's let's go back a little bit. You were an assistant coach in Illinois, um, coaching the women's side, and what made you decide to make
2: that switch?
4: You know, the role of the assistant coach is is to learn and you know hopefully someday become a head coach I think it 's a very transient position by nature, and there 's very few assistant coaches out there that, that think hey i 'm going to get into this and i 'm going to be an assistant coach forever. I think when I got into the job, you know i i didn 't really know uh, you know I, I was an alum from UCI, but I'd also been in a couple different programs before you know I was at Loyola Marymount University. they dropped the program, I went over to Pierce Junior College, and then I eventually came to UCI Irvine, played my junior and senior year here. And I wasn't ready to close the book on volleyball. And so I went over. I played a couple years in Spain. And then the position became full-time here. The assistant coaching position became full-time my second year in Spain. And John gave me a phone call and said, hey, you know, this position's opening up. You're the first guy that came to mind. Would you be interested in being an assistant coach? And I think at that point, I just kind of walked into the position. It wasn't something I ever really planned on. But after being here for four or five years, it, the volleyball component uh, remained a passion as it always had been for me. But the administrative component, the managing, um, facilitating the growth and kind of these transitional years for the guys, that became more and more appealing. And I think I started to recognize that I was going to have to take a, a step at some point and going to Illinois was the natural step. But again, it's a position that fell into my lap. You know, it's, it was a phone call that I received from the head coach there who was a friend of a friend in the volleyball world, and he said, you know, I, I want you to come check this out, because if you think you want to be a coach down the road, we're in the business of creating head coaches. And, you know, we've got a cult, a culture that's similar to UC Irvine, different, obviously, on the female side. Mm-hmm. But uh, it just seemed like the right fit. So
0: We don't talk to a lot of volleyball players, you know, afterwards, and I know we've had, you know, f- uh, quite a few, both on the men and the women, play overseas. But mm-hmm. what is life like for a volleyball player overseas? And... Was it difficult to give up that lifestyle to come back and you know give up the pro career and to play and to become a coach
4: well again, playing professional in terms of volleyball is a very relative term you know there's uh, there's some pros out there that are living in Russia and you know they've got their house and their own compound and you know everything's taken care of and and they're they're banking money away we've got a couple guys now on the u s a national team um, actually you know it just only recently have usa volleyball players been able to retire from being professional volleyball players most of the time it's a lifestyle decision and it really is about you know getting that final chapter of volleyball in before you close the book on your playing career for most guys and that's what it was for me you know i went out there and i was in a league where we got to you know win the division championship Um, i got to live in spain for a couple years it was great but uh, i think i always knew that was a temporary uh, lifestyle for me and so Making the transition at that time was was not too difficult to leave the things behind, except for, you know, the food, the pace of life, living small town Spain. You know, the the three coffees a day kind of thing. Those were those were pretty special. The siestas. That's right. The, siesta. <laughs> the tapas. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, what are you know what are some of the challenges that you face now switching back to the men's side? You know, you've coached in both. Um, the game is obviously different. You know, speed of the game, the power of the game on the men's side, but Administrative-wise, coaching-wise, what type of adjustments will you make or do you have to make when going from the women to the men?
4: Well, I think you hit it. It's on the administrative and the managerial side more than anything. And it has less to do with the gender of athlete that we're training and more to do with the seat that I'm in. You know, you move that one seat over from assistant coach to head coach, and all of a sudden, it's everything. You know, there's not just, hey, this is your compartmentalized role within this staff. It's you are now overseeing the entire staff and the direction of the program and now it's your vision and oh by the way you're responsible for all of it so in terms of making the shift yes the game's faster Um, the ball travels at a much higher rate you know and there's not as much reaction time so we have to be a little crisper on some of the things we do and maybe put a little bit more time in terms of where we set up because we know there can't be a a pursuit based on a ball that's that's traveling a little bit slower but I think the big thing for me is right now it's it's establishing the vision, understanding the terrain that we have, and, and in those areas I'm very fortunate because, you know, I had a good mentor in the game here in terms of um, John Spira was, was very visionary in terms of where he wanted to take this and, and utilizing the resources that he did have. And as the program has grown, the vision I think on some level stays the same, and I think we're now also in a place where we can expand upon that a little bit.
0: Um. Describe the circumstances following, you know, that went on in your life once John uh, announced that he was taking the UCLA job. Um, Were you immediately, you know, your name was kind of one of the first I had heard in Rumerville. Were you immediately looking to, you know, take this job or, you know, were you already happy where you were at Illinois? You had helped them reach the NCAA championship match for the first time in history. Um, you know, some people could say that's coincidence, but I think Ann Eater fans know that your talent had a lot to do with that. But um, what were the circumstances that were going on at the time when John made that announcement?
4: You know, the the spring is always a transitional period for any program. You know, school is kind of wrapping up, and I think at Illinois, we were very much invested in the process of, how are we going to win in fall of 2013? And that's it was daunting because what I will say is while I think I had some contributions to make to that staff last year, and i'm 'm comfortable saying that I was a two percenter in that whole mix. We had two great laughs, Michelle Barch and Colleen Ward, and they absolutely you know just anything that was imperfect about a game plan that I might have helped put together, they were able to <laughs> bail us out in that high ball situation so we we kind of rode them all the way to the national championship match. but in terms of that time of year, you know I think what I was looking at is this is a transition time okay i 'm I'm re-engaging here for the next two or three years, and then I've got to start thinking about the next step. Mm-hmm. So when this came up, um, you know, I think we all had it in the back of our mind that that John was going to make a transition at some point, and I don't think anybody knew where. I think the only surprise for me was that he went to UCLA as opposed to the national team. Okay. And so when it came up, I had to kind of quickly assess why would he leave a place like UC Irvine to go to a UCLA, and you know, when those reasons came out, it it uh, it made a little more sense. But. I think at that point I was still evaluating: is this something that I want to do? Leaving one great place to go to another great place, and you know, obviously, I, I made that choice. But, but it wasn't an easy decision because Illinois was a great place to be.
0: You know, you're quoted as saying, "Kevin Hambley, you know, the coach at Illinois facilitated your journey um, about the coach you wanted to become." Can you expand on that comment?
4: I can try. I can <laughs> try, uh, yeah, Hambley is. Uh, he's a sp- pretty special human being you know in terms of what he's doing with that program but i would say more importantly just the impact he has on the lives of those those athletes you know he he kind of takes coaching to a whole new level i think it's very easy to get get myopic and start thinking about volleyball and winning titles and uh recruiting and you know there's there's a lot of components to it and we have to do that as coaches you know i mean that's that's part of our profession i think kevin for me is is one of the few that have taken a team that far and really truly been invested in the people the whole way through and not just the people within the team but throughout the athletic department i I just you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that says anything negative about kevin and and what i saw from him was a work ethic that i haven't seen anywhere else you know he was always the first one up in the morning first one in the office pouring coffee before the athletic director got in and he was the last one out in the evenings and you know here we are as a staff with that as our role model and that was pretty special you know and obviously the workload of a big 10 institution is a little bit different than some of the other schools, but his ability to manage that workload, manage the family life that he had, and then also be able to meet with the girls every couple of weeks, you know, for an hour or two with each of them is something I haven't even heard of before. And to see it live was, was special.
0: How hard was it to, to let him know that you were going to pursue the UC Irvine job?
4: Actually, he let me know. Oh, he did. Yeah, so, uh, you know, that was, it was interesting. I, I think he had always kind of known. We had talked about that when I got hired at Illinois. One of the first things he said was, look, there's only a couple of places I'm willing to lose you after year one. He said, one is if the Irvine job opens up because I think you need to take it because you're going to be head coach someday. No one's going to know that program better than you. If a national team opportunity opens up and you want to get on as an assistant, he goes, I did that. It's a pretty special experience. And if it, only if you can really fully commit to it, you know, and for a four-year period because you don't want to try to double double duty that one. Uh, just meaning trying to be in the collegiate game and the national team at the same time because you don't get the full experience. Um, and then he said, the only one past that is if you just decide you don't want to do volleyball anymore. He said, but if it's something outside of those three, you better lock in for a few more years here at Illinois. So when this popped up, he and his entire family were supportive. Uh, you know, and it was hard for them too, obviously, because that meant they needed to look for a new assistant and a replacement, but they were very supportive of the opportunity.
0: So you, you're announced as head coach, and immediately you take the team to Argentina. How did that come about? Um, I know you've been involved with international teams over the years during, at UC Irvine, but how did that t- trip come about?
4: Yeah, you know, again, you just kinda, sometimes you just sit back and let the universe do its work. That, <laughs> uh, that one fell into our laps again. You know, we had a, basically a return of obligation visit mm-hmm. for, for that trip. You know, we, uh, we went down in 2008, and they hosted us. And then we held that international tournament for a few years, and we brought in teams from all around the world. So, Argentina being one of them, but certainly Brazil, China, Japan, Korea, um, even a team from Holland over the years. So, they called us, or they called me specifically after John left, and just said, Hey, would you be interested in coming down again? And I said, Well, look, I don't even have the job, so I will pass that message along. And once that job came through for me, you know, I, I obviously confirmed that we would be able to make it. So.
0: Was this the first time for a lot of those guys to travel abroad into, you know, or even in, to Argentina?
4: Yeah, there were a couple of new passports on the trip. A couple of guys had to get down to the passport office. Uh, most of the guys had traveled before. A couple of them had traveled to volleyball, mostly you know, through USA Junior National or Youth okay. National Team stuff. But yeah, Argentina was the first time for all but, all but a couple of them, I believe.
0: So you've been there a couple times now. What is, what is volleyball like in Argentina? Is there a big passion for it?
4: Well, there's a big passion for just about everything in Argentina, from what I've experienced. Soccer will always be, you know, king. Number one. Yeah. Yep. There's no question. But there's a there's a stronghold of volleyball there as well. Um, there's a lot more money in the league than there has been in years past. Uh, Marcelo Tinelli uh, has had Drian Bolivar, which is the top team that came here a few years in a row, and and the team ultimately that hosted us in 2008. Uh, they've kind of led the charge. You know, they signed on Jiba from the Brazilian national team, mm-hmm. so he's playing for them. There's a, a salary cap that well, there, there is no salary cap anymore, actually, with that team, Bolivar. But but they brought in some some players that have really made that, that league a little bit more well-known. And, you know, we got to ride on that a little bit.
0: Um, you touched upon, you know, bringing the international tournament to UC Irvine, and that's happened for three or four years now. Why um, were you so invested in that tournament? Why did you think that was such an important experience for your guys to have?
4: You know, volleyball in Orange County boys specifically you know, we we are the mecca of boys volleyball in the United States of America being in Orange County being in Irvine being close to Newport Beach the largest volleyball clubs in the nation are right in our backyard and in terms of you know being one of one of the sports at the university that can compete against the Big 10 the BCS schools the Pac 12 schools and consistently win is pretty special and I think one of the ways that we kind of carve out our own signature in this, being a mid-major competing with the giants, is that we we can bring those teams in. You know, we can demonstrate that we can play a high-level competition, that we can be the bridge between college and international, and that we don't necessarily need the football school resources to do all that. So I think that was part of it. And The other part is it's just fun. You know, I mean, it's it's such a special experience for these guys to be able to play against the best in the world. You know, and bring in guys that were former Olympians and pro players and Obviously, going abroad is a great experience, but that only happens once every four years. Right. So there was a question in my mind after that first trip. We're on the bus, and I'm you know, trying to translate the the handbook for that tournament down in Argentina into English <laughs> the whole time I'm there and just trying to figure out, can we create this experience in Irvine? Can we bring that global or international feel back to campus instead of always having to go out for it? And obviously, the answer is yes. Now, where that goes in the future remains to be seen, but the experience those guys had was so special.
0: Well, I was going to ask you, because we are not having that tournament this year, you going to, are you and the staff going to work to bring that tournament back? Is that kind of on the docket?
4: I think we'll always look for international exposure, you know, and I, I think whether we do a formal tournament, tournament or not remains to be seen. You know, I, I don't know that that's a necessary component of the international or volleyball experience at Irvine. What we do need to have is we need to honor the teams that want to come in. So even this year, we had a team from Shanghai, China come in. Mm-hmm. It's the top team from Shanghai. They've won the league championship nine out of the last 14. And We brought them in. They brought themselves in, truthfully. We played them off-site. We scrimmaged them a couple times, sent them down to a couple different schools, had a great experience. So if that's the way it's going to be, that's fine, too. The important thing for us is we get that international experience.
0: Um, We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to talk about the team, get a quick uh, season preview from you. But we'll be right back with David Niffin on the Blue and Gold Report on KUCI. If
2: you've ever thought about making a donation to KUCI, now is the time. Non-commercial, free-form music and community programming is crucial to the radio landscape and to the community as a whole. My name's Hillary Chambers. I was a student at UC Irvine in the early 90s and worked at KUCI for three years. Started out as a trainee, worked my way up to music director, and since graduation, I've worked in commercial radio everywhere from KNAC in Long Beach to 91X and 949 in San Diego. And I'll tell you what, I've never had a radio experience like I had at KUCI. What I learned about radio and life in general played a huge role in getting me to where I am today. KUCI is an incredible resource for the students and the community members who are a part of it and the listeners as well. You don't need me to tell you that. Pledge now, KUCI.org or call KUCI 949-824-KUCI and thank you. Hello, folks. My name
4: is Henry Rollins. It is time to donate to KUCI. Please do it. You can call them at 949-824-KUCI. That's 949-824-5824. Or you can donate easily online by going to KUCI.org. Please do it. Thanks.
0: And we're back with David Niffen. You played in the USC tournament. What are your first thoughts looking at the team after this fall tournament?
4: I think we have a lot of promise. We lost some, some big players this last year and I think there's always a little bit of you know self-discovery on a team and trying to figure out what their specific culture is going to be year to year you know I think we have a very strong foundation in terms of the the character of the players uh, the roles they have on the team and and the way they want to compete win, and conduct themselves in the classroom and off the court I do think it's it's tricky you know you come back in you lose a guy like Carson Clark who could get you out of situations with that high ball swing of his you know he was an offensive threat and when you start to look at championships that are won most of the time it's won in the offensive numbers game. I don't know that we have that piece just yet and that was something that was reconfirmed in the USC tournament as well as we did you know I Mm -hmm. I think everybody was mixing lineups around and trying to get a feel but a successful tournament for us certainly from the win-loss column I I think we highlighted some things that we are doing well I don't know that at that tournament there was a better out-of-system blocking team you know I think as soon as we get that ball off the net a little bit we look pretty good. Uh, and that's with a new middle on the court, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've got Scott Warkin coming back. I thought he did well. Colin Maring is working his way into the mix, which is great for us. You know, he's got some size and certainly a bright guy. He's got some Kevin Wynn-esque qualities, okay. which is, uh, you know, great for us. We always like to have intelligent middles in the game the way we play. Um, Ian Castellana demonstrated through Argentina that, you know, he can play with some of the big boys and, and he can get up fast and be offensive for us. Jason Agopian was really a bright spot in the uh, Argentina trip as well as the USC tournament. And, you know, and then we've got a, a freshman in Andrew Benz who's yet to step on the court, but he's been showing some strides in practice. Uh, you know, and that's to replace Austin Diamore and mm-hmm. Dan McDonald. Dan, obviously, who was on that national championship team and an offensive threat and one of the more athletic middles we've ever had in the program. So he was, he was always a force to be reckoned with, whether it was offensive or defensive. We have to replace that. And then from a leadership standpoint, you know dan was was maybe a, as good as it gets, and then Austin D'Amour, who started for the majority of that freshman year, we went to the national championships in two thousand and nine and really only came out for the game four and game five of the national championship match until then he was he was the guy, so obviously we lost some some depth there as well as depth of character it was uh depth of strength and talent and then you go past that and you start looking at our other pins, so you know Carson aside which is which is huge, you look at kevin Carroll uh, mm-hmm. who would have started for any other team in the MPSF last year and was just a great all-around volleyball player. When you look at what we gleaned from him, you know, our starters were able to take things out of his bag of the tricks because he had watched so much international volleyball. And although you know, passing was a struggle for him at times and maybe a little bit of consistency, I don't know that we had a better offensive outside in terms of having all the shots. So to lose that in the practice environment and that as an option, you know someone that can come in against Stanford in the MPSF tournament and, and pull that off. That's big, and then Will Montgomery. Um, I mean, Will Montgomery for me fits into that same class as the Spittle brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just very few guys that come through programs that have an impact. That's maybe as as underappreciated or under the radar as a guy like Will, uh, and I would say th- the same thing about Paul, Nick, and Anthony Spittle. So we lose that piece, and then Alex Reese coming in. Who you know, I I never really got to know Alex Reese that well, except from from stories this last year. But certainly. You know, had his mark as well as a senior and, and a one-year transfer that came in. So we replaced those pieces, and we've got some good ones coming in. Uh, like I said, the middle positions have stepped up. We do bring Tilly back at the outside. We've got Connor Hughes coming back at the outside. He's demonstrated that he can also move around a little bit if we want to move him to the right. He's able to do that. Zach Lacavera that saw some time last year, can get into the mix for us. Travis Woolison has demonstrated that he can find ways to win, as he's always done. You know, I think Zach... um Sorry. I think Travis was one of those guys that came in to our program and really willed his teams to win, whether it was Balboa Bay or whether it was Laguna Beach. He uh, he wasn't always the most technical player, and and yet his force uh, in the practice environment, the weight room, and then when we need to sub him into games here and there, has really proven to be beneficial for us. And then Jeremy Dano. Mm-hmm. So we, we returned some good guys.
0: Uh, You, you know, you talked about some new faces and some guys that we expect to see on the court this year. But um, let's talk really briefly about Kevin Tilly, because there was a time over the summer that we thought he might not come back, he might have gotten snatched up by a professional team. How late in the process, did you know, or did that happen relatively early that he decided to come back?
4: Well, when Kevin came in, he was always pretty clear that his goal here was to play a few years of Irvine volleyball, get a degree, and then move on and go play pro. So unless something drastically had changed in terms of his thought process of why he came here in the first place, Mm -hmm. there was always an expectation in my mind that he would come back. So it was right after I got the job that, you know, I confirmed that with him and, uh, you know, it, it was important for him to come back.
0: Um, well, it's what's great because you know for a time we thought we were going to lose him and Carson and
4: sure. Well, if if that had know. happened, we would have just dipped over to men's basketball and taken Mike Wilder Mike Wilder off the <laughs> team. Yeah, so
0: <laughs> we're going to get to Mike Wilder in a second, but let's get to your <laughs> staff. You added Kevin Birch to the um, to your staff, uh, a, nas- a D three national championship at Springfield. Um, what? will he bring to the program what are what are you tasking him to do this year
4: well we you know you look at where he's been the last two years and he was at springfield won a national championship there at the D3 level. The year before that, he was at Ohio State, won a national championship there as a coach. Mm-hmm. So really, we just brought him in to win a national championship. I don't know that we need to go too much into his job description past that.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, you have pressure on this pressure on your staff <laughs> who was with you for the national championships. You were you won a national championship. The joke on the volley talk is you're the only one that hasn't won a national championship in the last year. So <laughs> we're hoping that changes in, yeah. in well, 2012-13. Well,
4: no, we'll see. I, Kevin brings a, a, a great skill set to the staff. You know, he's... He's just the quality of person that we want in the program. You know, he's got Orange County roots, which is huge for us. But he's also a student of the game. He's young. He's uh, He's got some fire. You know, he's taken a different route, which I think is important because if you're going to be a UC Irvine guy, you kind of have to find your own way. And you can't do it like everyone else has done it. You know, we find different ways to win here. And he's done that. He also brings the data volley skill set to the table. So, you know, obviously we... We'll have some turnover in that position as well, and he'll be able to train whoever we need. The fact that we'll have that in practice all the time is big for us. But you know, more than anything, it's it's finding young, intelligent people that are, are willing to learn and, and jump both feet into this, and Kevin is all about that.
0: Um, you wanted to talk a little bit about basketball, so we're going to because off-air you talked a little bit about Mike Wilder, and Mike Wilder, if you're listening, listen to this. But what did you think of Mike Wilder as a volleyball player?
4: Well, <laughs> Mike... Mike has a swagger that I think only basketball players have. And I just think there's times we'd like to have that on the volleyball court, too. You know, I I think Chris Austin brings a little bit of that. You know, we we need to be careful with Chris that he doesn't get too loose because it does bleed over to his setting a little bit. You know, but uh, but no, Mike was a a good volleyball player and it's fun to watch him through the years. And obviously, we're happy to have him in the program. I I think, you know, one of the things the basketball team's doing that I, I really appreciate from a men's volleyball side is that, they're getting that same quality of person mm-hmm. that we're searching for you know and obviously they're competing with a much bigger pond than we are you know we're talking about men's volleyball competes against 27 schools mm-hmm. you know and and realistically there's only 10 that are going to be in the mix to win national championships and basketball is competing against 300 plus schools and so for for russ and that program to be able to bring in guys like mike and some of the other guys they have on that team now it's it's exciting for me as a coach to be a part of that and, and exciting to see what they'll do this year with such a senior-heavy team, and obviously some depth of character on the squad, and so that's that's it more than anything.
0: Um, Dave, thanks for joining us on the show. We're looking forward to your first year as the head coach at UC Irvine. Looking forward to seeing all our players back in 2012 and 13, and the best of luck to you. All right, thanks, Jimmy. Um, that was David Niffin. We'll be right back with Barry Faulkner from the Daily Pilot for our roundtable on KUCI 88.9 FM.
4: This is Head Coach David Niffen of the UC Irvine Men's Volleyball Team, and you're listening to the Blue and Gold Report on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.
0: And welcome back to the Blue and Gold Report. Folks, just a quick reminder, we will not have a show next week due to Veterans Day, um, but tune back in the week after, and we will have our final show of the fall before we take our winter break. But at this time, I'd like to welcome Barry Faulkner from the Daily Pilot for our roundtable. Barry, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Fumi. Um. The fall, UC Irvine, not kind of a departure from what we're used to, Uh, but let's start off with women's soccer. They advanced to the semifinal of the Big West Tournament. They lose to top-seeded Cal State Fullerton, finished fourth in the Big West standings.
3: Yeah, looking at them overall, just statistically what jumped out is their relative lack of scoring as opposed to other years, and specifically uh, prominent scores. Mm-hmm. I think they had two players that scored more than three goals, and their leading scorer Laura McGrail had six goals. Uh, Rachel Wood had five goals, but they were all penalty kicks. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like she was scoring in the flow of the match. There was special situations there. She's obviously a defender, so no knock on her. And and those five goals helped her make first team all conference, which is you know noteworthy. But just one of those years where things. No, They didn't find the flow. They didn't find the way to highlight. And that being said, it's not like it was doom and gloom. I mean, they were a a one-win here or there away from repeating as conference Mm -hmm. champions. They lost one conference match. In the last three years, they've lost two conference matches. They're 19-2-4 in the last three years, and they won their last conference match the year before that. So... It's not like what's happening with women's soccer it was just one of those years. And I think the other conference rose its level. Cal State Northridge won the tournament, won the regular season. I believe, or No, they did not win the Bulletin, won the regular season for the first time ever, knocked off Irvine. So, you know, you're going to catch a hot team in a cycle in those years at times, and that's what makes remaining on top so difficult.
0: Do you think it was, uh, was their non-conference portion just that difficult this year? They, they played a lot of good teams that are probably, you know, um Going to make the going to make the sixty four. They're on the bubble. Um, what are your thoughts on the non conference portion?
3: I think at this point, the stature of the Big West nationally is that you have to win your conference anyway. I think playing a rugged preseason can only help you. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you if you're able to knock off and get some marquee wins during that portion, great. If not, you're better prepared to handle the competition in your conference level. And bottom line is you need to take care of business to win the conference. It's going to be interesting to see how Long Beach State fairs today. Mm -hmm. I I have a hard time making an argument for them making the field just because, I mean, if you're not in the top four in the Big West, people nationally are going to wonder what's up.
0: Um, And I believe that selection show is today at 1230. Um, That will be only streamed, so uh, we'll be keeping our eye on that. Uh, let's move over to the men's soccer team. They finished last in the South Division, a new format, um, which it could have worked in UC Irvine's favor, but they just didn't catch fire this year.
3: Yeah, they were the they were the preeminent favorite in that South Division there, and it was just one of those years. They they were snakebit in, in a way. They lost a lot of matches late. They lost five matches in overtime, five more with a goal in the last 10 minutes of regulation. Uh, Alex Croteau pointed out that they played some some nationally ranked teams, very very tough. They had a few one goal losses there, beat one of those teams, uh, but in the end, it was just it was almost like the the stars were aligned poorly for them. They, mm-hmm. The stars were not aligned, and their five wins are the fewest they've had since 1995.
0: Uh, do you see this team? I mean, they lose one senior, Everett Pitts. Do you see this team um, able to rebound? next year
3: definitely I think this is a team and and the talent level is there I mean as the schedule broke down there were very few opportunities for me to see them this year uh but what I did see that the the talent level was evident I've heard people talk about their particular players and I think this is a situation where they can get right back on the bike and maybe you know sometimes you need sometimes you get motivation from struggle and this was a season of struggle for them, I'm sure they're anxious to start working toward next year right away and probably have already in some circumstances. So I don't think it's a case where, well, Irvine had its cycle and they're done. I think this is an anomaly, and George will get it going again.
0: Well, you know, they ended this season on a good note. They beat Cal State Northridge 10, the regular season. Um, so, yeah, uh, let's, let's stick with men's soccer. I want to ask you very quickly about... The incident that happened last week, you know, men's soccer player, we won't say who it is, but um, pushed a referee after a game, after getting ejected, uh, handcuffs were involved. Um, That led to um, the player getting kicked off the team and the AD pulling the team from any postseason opportunity. What do you think about that situation, and what do you think about the '80s decision regarding that program?
3: Uh, I'm all positive about what happened and the repercussions that they faced because of that incident. I mean, I get very fired up about things like that and and kids going way beyond, you know, what needs to happen in a sporting event. And and I did see the video on that, and, and it's just horrendous what happened, and quick, decisive action needed to be taken. Uh, as it turns out it's kind of a a toothless penalty for the team because they they weren't going to be in the postseason anyway they weren't even going to make the conference tournament but the a d does that's all he can basically do the kid isn't is removed from the team mm-hmm. he was a senior mm-hmm. he's done his he has to live with his actions he's and there there could be you know legal ramifications down the line mm-hmm. team wise he sends a message that look if this happens you know it didn't necessarily have a full gripping effect because they weren't denied the postseason, which they didn't qualify anyway. But it sets a precedent that should shenanigans happen like this in the future, you know, this is the consequence. And so I think it's a positive message, and I congratulate Santa Barbara for acting the way they did.
0: Um, You know, violence certainly... I wouldn't say is a trend in men's soccer, but we, or in soccer in general, but this incident happened a few years ago. Um, We saw a women's soccer player pulling a girl down by her ponytail. I don't know if you saw that in a, in, I think, the NCAA tournament. Um, And again, those were seniors, so very little punishment. Um, What do you think should be done when it's a senior? And how do you, you know, how do you send that message down to the team? Is it, you know, was it the postseason denial? You know, again, for this Santa Barbara team, the opportunity really wasn't there anyway. So, like you said, there w- there wasn't a lot of teeth behind it. But, um, you know, how do you prevent this?
3: Well, there can be steps that are made. Uh, you know, I mean, it's difficult because there are legal protections involved for students. Mm-hmm. And you can, you know, by the same token, there are rules in place for universities to hand out discipline. I mean, this person could have been kicked out of school, there could have been problems with his education. Then again, you start talking about, look, this is a this is an age where mistakes are going to happen. I mean, obviously, mistakes to this degree are a little bit beyond the realm of expectation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at what point it's a fine line between denying a kid an opportunity to finish an education and better his future and learn from his mistake mm-hmm. and also shunning him to the point where you prevent that Um, so it's difficult in that way but soccer is has been known for problems I mean in the high school level they've taken steps to try and clean things up Mm -hmm. and there's only so much it's such a high level of frustration in the soccer because of the nature of the sport and Mm -hmm. you can ouch there was a a game, Irvine women, I think, outshot Hawaii thirty-four to four, and it ends in a scoreless tie. So, how it's hard to feel good. It's a, it's easy to be irritable when that takes place, and you're not rewarded for that level of dominance in a sport. Mm-hmm. And then the nature of soccer, where there's it's a it's a contact it's contact sport. It's not a contact sport. Everything's a foul. Nothing's a foul. It's just it's it's kind of a a cauldron for the potential for an incident like this to take place and it's unfortunate i think the one of the positives is that so many coaches have a reign on their teams to make sure things that don't like that don't happen and, and when red flags occur there's quick action within the soccer community to diffuse things mm-hmm. and i think that's a real positive and i think that's has to make, continue to be a strong element in the sport to keep the flashpoints low
0: now, you, you mentioned, you know, it's not a foul, it is a foul, and Alex Crote and I were talking about goalkeepers in general, and it seems as though goalkeepers really don't have um, the same level of standard in terms of whether they're committing a foul or not. Do you agree with that?
3: Yes. Goal f- goaltenders are the quarterbacks of soccer. They get protected on one end, and there's, like you said, a lack of, there's a double standard in terms of what they can do. They can charge out and upend an attacker. Attacker, They can blow out an attacker's knee without really uh, – and being within the eyes of the rules according to the referee. Mm-hmm. So it is a double standard there. I think as goalies get more and more aggressive, and, and the Fullerton goalie the other night against Irvine was particularly aggressive, the, mm-hmm. the women's game. Uh, there does need to be a look at, you know, let's even the playing field. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes the player needs to be protected – the, regardless of who's doing the uh, tackling.
0: So do you see that happening in the next few years at the college level?
3: It's difficult to predict with a college officiating. Mm-hmm. I mean, my personal stance on soccer officials is uh, not the most positive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like the way their ego dictates their actions on occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm seeing less of that and at the college level. I think there is more accountability. I know there's an official overseer that's at almost every game. Mm-hmm. And they do it, you know, it it appears to keep an eye on. But I I do see a level of dissatisfaction from coaches with officials in soccer that's unprecedented in any other sport. I mean, the the level of complaining from a soccer coach about the officiating is constant, nonstop, and almost always overwhelmingly negative. So It's um, almost the culture. It is the culture to some degree, Um but, you know, it's tough to predict. I, I, we'd like to think that there's progress made in the future. I think more discussion within soccer needs to take place about the arrogance of officiating. And I'm not sure how much that they're accountable in that way. I know, obviously, conferences have policies in place where coaches can't publicly criticize officiating. You know, maybe there are back channels, and I'm sure that there is communication from coaches within their conferences, mm-hmm. and there is administrators about officials. Um, But like you said, some of it is just endemic to the sport, and the soccer culture is is runs deep. It's tough to make change within that culture. Uh, But I wouldn't, you know, personally, I think a little more inroads toward change would be welcome.
0: Um, Let's move on to women's volleyball. Uh, They're currently eighth in the Big West. What are your thoughts on how the volleyball program's been doing they have a couple of bright spots but overall not I'm this is not where they want to end up and you know they still have a few matches to play um, but Hawaii's locked up that conference title um, what are your thoughts
3: they they did have a good start to conference this year um, you know I, I think it would be safe to say that the general tone toward women's volleyball has been disappointing the last couple of years um, but they did show some good signs and and my ability to see them in person has been limited by some things, too. So I'm a little hesitant to, to speak authoritatively on the issue. But uh, I think people would like to see more success. Um, you know, apparently they're getting a higher level of recruit. That's mm-hmm. that's the buzz I've heard. So, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. But I don't think anybody's happened, happy around here at Irvine with an eighth-place team. That's just not going to cut it. Mm-hmm. So, As David said, this is the mecca of high school volleyball. And within girls, it's to a lesser degree, but still, this is a hotbed of talent. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you need to... And in my opinion, you need to... I mean, Irvine, just as a volleyball school, has a much higher profile than some of the other schools in the Big West. So you need to be competing and having success against other schools in the Big West. Mm -hmm. Hawaii, obviously, has raised the bar quite high. And the fact that Irvine... Took them to five games recently, speaks to their level of potential. Mm-hmm. But there needs to be uh, greater, uh, f- greater payoff. You know, there needs to be more success on a more consistent level. And I know Paul is working toward that.
0: Uh, what do you see happening next year? They lose the setter and Marissa Alvarez, and they lose Kristen Winkler, the libero. Those are two key positions. Marissa being the quarterback of the team as the setter. Um, how much? how much adjustment or will they have to, I mean, they're obviously going to have to make a lot of adjustments, but, um, do you see them losing ground, a lot of ground because of that?
3: No, I, I think, I think they, they need to upgrade their talent level across the board. Mm-hmm. And I think the buzz about the recruits they're bringing in can facilitate that. I think the, the, the greater amount of change, um, uh, as soon as possible. So the fact that they're moving new pieces in, I think is a benefit. Um, and we'll just see – it's tough to evaluate potential in recruits you've never seen play. So once they get on campus, they get in the system, they're coached in the system, then we'll see what happens. But I think there is room to be optimistic.
0: Okay. Um, men's water polo. They, they struggled this year, uh, ninth in the Mount There's st- And despite that, they're still um, in contention for a berth for the Mountain Pacific Sports Federation Tournament. Uh, your thoughts on men's water polo?
3: Men's water polo, wow, I did not see this coming. It's a six-match six, game, six match losing streak right now, which is the longest since 1999 when they lost their final eight games. So this was a year where it appeared that there was an opportunity for them with Cal struggling with personnel mm-hmm. deficiencies that they could crack the top four. They had actually, I believe, moved into the four ranking at one point, or they were at least f- consistent solid five early in the preseason. They started well. Uh, but it hasn't worked out in the MPSF. They need to be Long Beach here coming up Sunday, the 11th, uh, to you know kind of give themselves an opportunity. In the MPSF tournament, of course, they're they're traditionally known for rallying late and performing well in tournament. You know that environment, so they could still turn it around and, and there's still hope for that fourth spot. But the fact that they're losing to teams that are lower in the rankings is um, is unexpected.
0: Um What are your thoughts as to what needs to be done when you know f- for this program in the future years? I mean, similar to volleyball the the talent is here in Orange county for water polo
3: I think Mark does moves heaven and earth to have the success he has mm-hmm. i mean uh it's difficult to be critical in any way of what they what they're doing now and what they've done traditionally. I mean you look over the history of what they've achieved in relative uh, in relation to some of the inadequacies they face with mm-hmm. the Pac-10 schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, what they do is, you know, they call they they create diamonds out of the rough. They they get good athletes. They get athletes that aren't perceived as top flight and make them top flight athletes. So, just in that respect, keep doing what you're doing. You're going to catch a cycle here and there. This happens to be, I mean, a six six game losing streak, and uh, with this level of competition. Mm-hmm. In the MP- MPSF is just huge, so it's not like they're necessarily really underperforming. It's that the margin for error is so slight that any departure from excellence can be exposed quickly. So I would just say keep doing what you're doing, Coach Hunt, and you know your record speaks for itself.
0: Um, and very quickly, we're go- you know we're wrapping up the fall, but what are your thoughts early on on the basketball teams?
3: Very encouraged, having seen the two exhibitions. Uh, the women have more athletes than they've had in my time here. Uh, just a matter of them translating that to basketball ability, and I think they're the margins. The the discrepancy between that level is is much thinner than they've had with some athletes that have come in the program before. On the men's side, just to have five big men, six, eight, and and above. Who can all play i mean will davis was an eye-popping freshman last year and now he's 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 having to work hard to get on the floor uh you know john ryan just i think really dazzled people the other night uh, adam Fulker's continues to improve and work hard and he's the he's the lunch pail blue collar hero of that team uh and then you know their guard play with which was their strength last year kind of you know It's going to you're going to be able to see them step into the spotlight that the exhibition wasn't necessarily uh, an element for that to occur. But the one glaring thing you need to see from them is improved defense. They Mm -hmm. were they weren't a real rock solid, consistent defensive team last year. You know, pretty much the same personnel. And they need to improve that. Obviously, Vanguard exposed them on a certain level the other night.
0: Uh you talked a little bit about John Ryan and Connor Clifford. What were your thoughts on Alex Young and his potential?
3: Alex Young very impressive. He's he's just kind of a solid. He doesn't he's not going to knock your socks off. He's not going to he's not a Vince Carter type or uh b- but he he obviously is comfortable on the floor and sometimes that's a huge jump for freshmen to go in and exhibit that. Mm-hmm. So in his very in his first Division 1 college debut, granted he's playing in an school, but he looked very comfortable and commanding. And he's going to add to that backward mix in a valuable way.
0: Well, a lot more to talk about. Uh, we'll have Barry on again in the coming weeks. Actually, when we start up again in January. Barry, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll be right back to wrap up the Blown Gold Report on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.
4: Want to get flogged? UC Irvine Athletics has partnered with Flogs to offer fans a free and easy-to-use calendar tool. Customize your desktop and mobile devices with your favorite UC
1: Irvine team, schedules, and get automatic updates sent right to your computer or phone. To download your preferred anteater schedules, get started by clicking on the multimedia tab at ucirvinesports.com.
3: Hi, this is Rich Murata, Southern California Sports Broadcasters Hall of Famer. And if you've ever thought of making a donation to KUCI, now is the time to act. You can help keep their outstanding lineup of free-form, free-speech radio on the air and online simply by calling 949-824-5824 or by visiting UCI's giving site at KUCI.org
4: and making a donation.
0: And welcome back to the Blue and Gold Report. Coming up this week in Anteater Athletics, the women's basketball team hosts Concordia in an exhibition game tonight at 7 in the Bren Center and then travels to take on Santa Clara Friday in their season opener. Paula Weissoff and the women's volleyball team hosts UC Riverside Thursday at 7 o'clock and then honors its seniors Sunday against Cal State Fullerton with first serve at 5 p.m. Both matches are at Crawford Court, so be sure to come out to see seniors Kristen Winkler and Marissa Alvarez in their final home matches. Mark Hunt's men's water polo team plays a pair of road matches beginning with a non-conference game at UC San Diego Thursday at 6. The team then gets back into the hunt for a Mountain Pacific Sports Federation tournament berth at Long Beach State in a black and blue rivalry game Sunday in Long Beach. Russ Turner's men's basketball team kicks off the season against Nevada Saturday at the Bren Center with tip-off at 7 p.m. Paul Smolenski's men's golf team is currently on day two of the Warrior Wave Invitational at the Makai Golf Course in Princeville, Hawaii. We'll have those results for you on our next show. Vince A. Boyle's men's and women's cross-country teams travel to Seattle, Washington to compete in the NCAA West Regional this Friday. That's our show for today, Anteater fans. Just a reminder, we will not have a show next week due to Veterans Day, but we'll be back November 20th for our final show of the fall. Whitney Pavlik, Anteater Eater women's volleyball alumna and one half of the Jose Cuervo Pro Beach Volleyball National Championship duel is scheduled to be on that show, so I hope you'll join us then. On behalf of UC Irvine Athletics and our engineer, Kevin Stockdale, we thank you for listening.